our whole focus for you know, probably the two years through COVID, which obviously was an added challenge, yeah. was to get to 83 grand a month. So we basically just did whatever it took to get there. And we got there and I was super unhappy. I was, you know, I was, I was like, this is rubbish. I, I, if this is now an indication of what it's going to be like at 2 million, I don't yeah. want this twice, yeah. you know, twice over. Hello and welcome to Founder Stories, the podcast for small business owners. I'm your host, Simon Kalu. And I created this show not only to motivate and inspire, but to give you actionable strategies to take back into your business, shortcutting your route to success. Each week, I'll sit down with real and relatable business owners, uncovering how they've created a business that gives them freedom, creates impact and makes money. So let's get started. Right, welcome back to another episode of Founder Stories. We are back with the founder of Notepad Studio, Mr. Name Alvi. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Simon. Honored uh, to be here. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. And I wanted you to be one of the first people on the show. We've known each other for a long time, which, why don't we start there, actually? Um, we met. I think at a Chamber of Commerce event in Birmingham. Yeah, in beer in, Yeah, which is that still there on Broad Street? I in think Birmingham. it's a it's a differently themed Dutch uh, beer bar now, but okay. it's the same setup. Yeah, and um, I remember instantly that we got along well, and I think that's really important in any business relationship. Mm. And at that time, it wasn't about I'm an accountant. I'm trying to pitch you my services. We were just chatting and talking, and that's how we mm. we met. Um, so that's a good one for everyone to go to networking events because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And I hate them normally, yeah. actually. I normally sort of steer towards the people that I know I'll get on with and won't have to talk about business with because yeah. I find it so uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah. that's why we ended up talking. That business card <laughs> passing around yeah. the table, standing I never up even take the 60 them. second pitch. So, subconsciously, I think I just don't take them for that reason because I don't want to have to force that conversation with people. It's just, it doesn't really work. Um, tell us a bit about you um what your business does just a brief background and then we can go from there cool all right well yeah i'm name uh notepad is a branding and content design uh studio based in beautiful birmingham um yeah. we it is now it is actually beautiful yes it getting is. that it's, it's taken years but we're nearly there um and yeah we work with uh quite a lot of big brands we've sort of pivoted our focus in recent months from working with lots of smes to working more with global brands at the moment we're working with wwf um glenn morangy the whiskey brand and and they're part of lvmh which is opening up lots of opportunities wow. and stuff yeah. um which is you know as LVMH an age LVMH is like louis vuitton and louis vuitton Moe hennessy yeah the okay. big the big dogs nice. um and normally they only work with really cool parisian agencies so yeah. to even be in the conversation at the moment as a you know, uncool brummy agencies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a really good thing. Wow. Um, but yeah, but that's that's been a big shift for us. And I think as an agency owner, you, you know, you, you always aspire to work with that kind of brand. It's just taken yeah. us a while to work out yeah. how to do it. And we're we're um, yeah, that's us. We're fifteen people now, full time. Use lots of freelancers as well. It's kind of a hybrid model. Um, if you were to say we help X do Y, what would that look like? I think we help purpose-driven or conscious businesses build their brands okay that's a good place to start because that leads me to my next question oh, actually yeah. <laughs> which is um why is i mean i know this because we went through a rebranding process for grow factor which used to be called srk accounting and the only i mean the main reason i changed the name or wanted to change the name is because when you Google SRK accounting, it would come up with Sharat Khan, who was a big Bollywood actor. Um, and this was causing a bit of an issue for us. Um, but I didn't really realize till we went through the process why branding is so important. And I think probably lots of our listeners who hopefully are business owners or aspiring business owners won't place the, enough importance on branding. Why is branding so important? I think it's the, the foundation for everything. And I, I think why that, that is the case is by its definition, people are always a little bit unclear by what branding is. And, and branding for us is 
is all about perception. So it's the perception you create for either kind of commercial or, or ideally and creative advantage. So you're, you're trying to create, you know, a, a perception in the market, which fulfills, you know, who you are, but also drives demand into the business and, and sets you apart in the market. And I think, I think what I mean by being unclear is for a lot of people, branding is just the way you look, you know, the way you look and feel. The and, and that's scheme, the logo. That's it. And that, that's, you know, the, the, fourth step in our process the the place to start and the place i kind of implore any business to to start is right in the, the sort of brand positioning proposition stage work out exactly who you're for what's the value you bring how can you say that in a totally unique way you know yeah. we, we, we as an agency in the uk it, we struggle with our own proposition at times i think we've cracked it in the last year or so but yeah there are 27,000 agencies in the UK. And although yeah. we feel like we're all saying something different to the buyer, to the marketer that's, that's going on the websites and, yeah. you know, pulling our websites up in five different tabs and flicking through them, we all sound the same. You know, we're all award-winning, yeah. global practices, creative, creative yeah, uh, driving meaningful change. It's all just nonsense that, yeah. you know, that, like there, there's a, I don't know, I think we, we, we're the worst at promoting ourselves in agency land we, we yeah. forget about all the things we teach our clients and um but, yeah, for, but we've realized recently that is an opportunity for us because we can be much more kind of benefit focused I, I think for me as well people think branding is this this small small piece but actually it's defining your ideal customer then what's your voice in order to attract that customer and that's you know a good business will do three things right it will attract potential customers yeah it will convert the ones that you want to work with and then you'll be able to deliver to them excellent value or service or yeah. a measurable return and so in the first place if you focus on lead generation and attraction unless you know who you're going after how you're going to speak to them what are their you know wants needs desires what keeps them up at night and then therefore how do you position yourself yes in terms of look and feel of the brand the mm -hmm. color the, the tonality, the, the logo, the font, all of these things happen. But that's such a tiny piece of, of what you guys actually do, right? It's not like yeah, it's the, you're the same as someone on Fiverr creating a logo for 60 quid. No, which is, you know, it still amazes me that those people are able to charge 60 quid for that service. <laughs> it, it's of such value if it's done well. But yeah, I mean, it's, that's, you know, it's, it's one third of our process. It's, it's, you know, and it comes right after the, the strategy, the positioning, the proposition, the tagline, everything is, is you know, proper concrete and, and set in stone. And more importantly, everyone believes in it in the company because, yeah. you know, I, I think with, with Grow Factors, it's a good example of, of this. You know, we, we're not only, you know, changing the name of your business, we're trying to sort of elevate the proposition, we're trying to find what makes you unique. But as a founder, who's had SRK accounting as a name for so many years is yeah. deeply emotional. Yeah. And yeah. you've, you know, you're basically telling them to change the name of their child and we're yeah. going to recommend what they should be called. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So I remember <laughs> the day when you turned up to present the different brand propositions and it is, it's like real nervousness. Yes. Are you going to like this? And you almost go into it with a, I'm not going to like it. And we've had that man. Like yeah. we, you know, we worked with a tech company last year who, um, we we actively said right from the beginning we have to change your name like yeah. it, it it's a good name but it's not right for where you're going yeah well, I reckon we probably went through three hundred names over the course of about six months yeah and all we found was that you know actually the team love their existing name yeah they really understand how it could link to the proposition and if we lean into the proposition a bit more and the name is just the name then yeah. we can make it work but yeah. you know we had to go through that fight with them to, to, to make them understand that it was doable, but they would have to kind of compromise on certain other things. And yeah. we got there in the end, but yeah, naming is, is painful. And pe people, that's a link to, to what was going to be one of my final questions, but I'll, I'll bring it forward. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. Peter Drucker said that, Yeah, who is, you know, one of the gurus in scaling running businesses. I've got every one of his books. I haven't read all of them. <laughs> I've listened to all the audiobooks, yeah, but if you can create a culture internally that's positive, where everyone understands what you understand as a mm. founder and understands the mission you're on, they may not execute delivery to the same standard as you, but they'll have the, the same intention. Yeah. 
and it will be a cohesive unit, a team that works together. So for me, I found that the branding exercise, which includes creating your own values and really getting your team to understand what those values are, mean that every single day when they're making decisions on a daily basis about how do I, you know, what should I reply to this client? Is this in scope or out of scope? Mm. How would Simon or Yasser Growth Factor want or name at your mm. at Notepad want me to deal with this so they can start to make their own decisions? They can reference the the brand. It, it, well, that's vision, isn't it? As well, and, and I think that's that's something I've kind of always tried to just do. I, I, everything in Notepad is based on the things that I felt were missing when I worked in agencies. So I okay. looked at what yeah. worked and what didn't work, and yeah. the things that didn't work for me were. Yeah, complete transparency on where the business was going and why it was going, where it was going, how we're doing. You know, we're we're completely open internally with our finances. We we show them the you know the P and L and everything every quarter, and yeah. that's quite a scary thing to do as a you know as a business yeah. owner, especially when it comes to conversations around pay rises. Yeah. Um, but it, I think that level of transparency fosters real trust and treating them like adults rather than children. So, yeah. um. Yeah, I think and I, I I think brand is the perfect framework to do that. You know, yeah. it's it's hard to to put a framework around that stuff, but if you've got really clear values, if you've got really clear internal positioning as well as external positioning. Yeah. And I think that's one thing with the the growth factor kind of repositioning. Not I don't know if it's kind of stood the test of time, but yeah. that I remember the the central sort of tagline proposition we came up with was small changes big impact because yeah. you're all about you know, tweaking small things and having a long-term, you know, big return. And as a, you know, a customer of yours for what, five years or something, that, yeah. I, that is how you work. That's, yeah. you know, it's authentic to who you are. But what's so important about those taglines, whether it's, you know, just do it or think differently or the, the taglines we all know from the brands that have made them happen, is there as much for the internal team as they are the customer? The customer yeah. gets it. It's your attitude. It's yeah. how you do things. But more than that, I think it's it, it, if you're informing your team that you just want people to make you know a one percent improvement every day, yeah, the compound you know sort of improvement it's of massive. that is massive. Yeah, so. no, you're right. And actually, before we get more into this conversation, because we're starting to get into it, and I think that's really valuable for listeners. But just so they've got some context to you, mm -hmm. what? Why did you get started? Why didn't you just? stay in the job that you were in like give us a bit of background to why you started notepad i know you alluded to the fact that you were working in an agency and you weren't necessarily happy with the way that they did everything and you mm. thought you could see a better way mm. but there's a big difference between seeing a better way and being willing to take the risk yeah the responsibility and almost as you know running a business is almost like a punishment sometimes yeah. in terms of stress all, and anxiety all the time, all the time. <laughs> tiredness and, <laughs> yeah never switching off and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. So why did you take that leap? I think at the time, I think it was, yeah, it was all the things you were saying. The, the agency I was working in actually was great. It was one of the better agencies I've worked in, but having worked in a few of them, all the way from kind of small ones to the big ones in London, I was well aware that there were a lot of flaws in the way that we were, you know, delivering the work we did. So quitting wasn't so much a case of like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to build a better agency. Yeah. It was, I'm knackered. You know, okay. I, I want to go back to being freelance again. So yeah. I'll, I'll, um, you know, I'll pack this in and I'll work out what I'm going to do. And really quickly, I just sort of positioned myself as a, a brand strategist in, in Birmingham, you know, looking for work. I did lots of public speaking and stuff yeah. and just won loads of clients. And it, you know, it was, it was obvious that there was a real need at that time in the kind of SME landscape for support, you know, in terms of brand positioning yeah. and, and proposition work. Yeah. That then led to, you know, natural conversations around the design of the brand. And yeah. so I hired Will that you, you know, you know, well, yeah, yeah. as a freelancer at the time, he was running his own design studio, managed to sort of partner with him and, and he, um, he started doing the design work for us. And then over time, I, I kind of got to a point where I was like, I, I really enjoy working with people. I can't yeah. just do this on my own. So I offered, you know, Will a job and unfortunately he accepted. And from there, we've just kind of accidentally grown this business. And, yeah. and I've realized only until really recently, I think that I really enjoy it as hard as it is. You yeah. know, there's, they always say, you know, if you, if you take that leap, you're never going to be able to go back no. into, into work again. And I couldn't, you know, yeah. I, I think I've always naturally had a bit of a problem with authority. I think that yeah. stems from 
Yeah, me you too. Know, Do you think that's a commonality in people starting their own businesses? Like I always used to get in trouble at school. At school, I went, when I went to state school, I used to get all of my work done in the first hour for the whole day, which my wife thinks is just a lie, but it's not. It's <laughs> true. And then I would just, uh, you know, beep about for the rest of the day yeah. until I got kicked out of the classroom. Yeah, yeah. I was you know, the same. I was just, like, okay. one of the running jokes in in my class, my English class. I went to a state school as well. And we had those amazing, horrible huts that you learn in. You know, when there wasn't enough yeah, room the outdoor, in the school, like and they porter the, cabin, the freezing cold huts. As well, yeah. So we, our English lesson was in those, and because I'm Alvi in the in the well, Alvi a Cinder now, but Alvi in the um, the register. I used to get thrown out of the class almost immediately, and it was normally me and a guy called James Abbott, who uh, James, James still connected with me on Strava. Actually, we both used to get thrown out very quickly because okay. we were just gobby and you know yeah. laugh. I laugh like a dolphin, as you know, so that would annoy people. And then she would take the register, Mrs. Redmond, and I feel for you, Mrs. Redmond, if you're listening. But she used to then have to go through the register and go name, and I'd be out the room and go here, and then that would obviously get a laugh again. And it was every single English class. And oddly, English is my favourite subject. You know, <laughs> I studied journalism, so yeah. So I think absolutely it does stem from a. I I realise now looking back, as much as I think I was good at the work, yeah, I probably wasn't the best employee. I think I challenged way too much. I must have been well annoying, like. Yeah constantly telling people how they could be doing things better That's and right. yeah. trying things that I haven't been told to do because I think like that would lead to a better outcome when actually in an employee as much as you want healthy challenge yeah and that level of two-way respect kind of thing I think I probably pushed it too far yeah it's a balance although I think that in the right organization maybe notepad never starts and you actually go right to the top of that organization because they recognize that you could be a potential yeah. owner yeah exactly I'm sure that is the case, you know, yeah. in a more, you know, polished sort of environment that, that, because all it is really is an exchange, isn't it? So it's, do I want to work hard for this? And do I feel fairly, you know, paid and, and, yeah. and, and recognized? Is for that there work? somewhere for me to progress? So I guess now, well, actually, I just wanted to touch on a couple of things. I wasn't going to speak about this, but actually it's really important. I'm reading a book at the moment called Rocket Fuel part of the eos training system oh yeah, yeah i've read one of those yeah it talks about visionaries because in my own business uh, i've been struggling with deciding what to do next whether to start bringing in and hiring a managing director hiring a head of marketing yeah i'm not going to do that now having spoken to my mentor he's kind of built and sold 10 businesses plus for 25 million was the smallest one and things of that nature so we have a different wow. one but he agrees with the philosophy of, of the visionary and the integrator, I think it's called. Okay. So the visionary will be usually the founder because they're the one coming up with all of the ideas and you love to create great ideas, but you don't necessarily want to follow them all the way through. So you might have a new process of how you'll send proposals to clients, but you don't want to go into the software and set the whole thing up. You want someone else to do that. That's your integrator, someone that actually runs the business for you. I know when you started, you had Will. So he's your creative. I guess at that time you're having to be the visionary and the integrator. Yeah. What's your position now? What does the staff and the team look like now at Note? Well, we're, we're, one of the things I've tried to do from the beginning, completely aligned with what you just said, is my view was as much as I could hire a, you know, a fairly junior team and try to train them up over the years, yeah. I knew it would be a quicker route to growth if we could afford them to yeah. hire a senior team so yeah. you know to hire people that can take some of that responsibility off me so yeah we have an amazing um client services director that we've just just hired and i've, I've basically been in touch with for about well for all of the five years of notepad okay. because i wanted to employ her but yeah. i couldn't afford her and yeah. then we finally she, she freelanced for a while for us and then we've just hired her thank god um and then we've got will yeah heads up creative johnny heads up um strategy so we've we've right from the beginning because they were the you know the, the the earlier hires were the kind of senior people we've had a leadership team where yeah. i've been able to share everything that i'm thinking in terms of vision and then between us we've been and able to responsibility so if you break a business down into its component areas like sales and exactly. marketing delivery to clients um you've got people who know it's their responsibility to do that so you can now start being more of a visionary to the most part yeah, yeah. i think I, I think um there are still gaps, you know, our business model is ever changing. And I think as a founder, you, you have to be an all rounder, don't you? You yeah, have 100%. to be able to do everything. Yeah. And 
Um, I still probably get a bit too hands-on in certain areas, but yeah, we're getting there and we've got a clear path now as to how we can get there so that I can yeah. just be, you know, pure visionary, kind of pure sales is where I want to end up. So Yeah, and I guess you enjoy doing client work, so stepping into that, but when you choose to, yeah, rather than having to because of a lack of capacity or a lack of quality team to do the work for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, in those first few years, if you can kind of remember back, I guess um, it's not too long ago, five years, what was your routine like versus what it's like now? Is it the same? Do you go to the office at nine, have your coffee, crack on with work? Or have you had to adapt different routines? I know we spoke about this a couple of years ago because I suffer with anxiety. Um, I have to go through a morning routine. I'm mm. constantly playing around with my routine. You know, I was working out in the morning in order to start work at nine so that I could work right through to five and get more hours done. Yeah. But I found that by two o'clock, I was like, forget this. <laughs> I can't work nine to five. Hey, you know, hey. I need to, excuse me, I need to... Uh, go and lie down. I can't work high level for that many hours. Yeah, yeah. So now I've gone back to, you know, drop the kids off at school, gym nine to 11. I'll work focused from 11 till three. Yeah. And then admin three to five and then family time. How does your routine look then and how does it look now? Well, I think right at the beginning, it was utter chaos as, as <laughs> it would be for any business. You know, yeah. I, I think there was no routine. It was, I've always been, fortunate i think to be one of those people that likes to wake up early so i have always got up early naturally but you know right at the beginning it was just me and a laptop you know yeah. so i'd kind of wake up i'd move from one room to the other i'd work as and long as i possibly could yeah. yeah work as long as i possibly could you know work most weekends kind of thing and so yeah structure and routine has, has been something that's been really important i, I honestly think without it you can't last because it's really yeah. a marathon, isn't it? You know, growing yeah, a company yeah, is, and it, it, although it feels like in the moment, you know, if I work now until 10 o'clock, I can get this done. Yeah. That's not a sustainable way of working at all. No, so no. I'm really strict with myself now. And, you know, it's something that um, my wife, Anna helps me with as well. She, you know, she'll quite happily sort of push me to finish at five because. Yeah. And it's really good to have that. Don't you think it's you really need good it. to have that accountability? Like Kieran does the same to me. If it's something like we have an event and there's a hard stop yeah. and she knows, that's fine. But yeah, otherwise, yeah. if I'm just falling into the trap of working longer and longer, she'll come into the office at 5.01 and say, right, it doesn't matter now. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, because once you get to the point where you're earning enough to pay your bills, uh, then it's about fulfilling your potential yeah, and leveling up your lifestyle. And that is, shouldn't necessarily, in my view, everyone have their different standards, but I think you're the same, come at the detriment of your family mm. life. I agree, man. You know, I, I think for us, yeah, I, with Notepad, actually, one of the key themes throughout growing the business has been around balance. And it's, yeah. and that's, yes, it's partly my balance. You know, how am I managing to, to keep my hours to under sort of 45 hours a week, 40 hours most weeks? But how, most importantly, am I doing that with the team? And I yeah. think that's the, that's the biggest problem in, in agency culture, you know, growing agencies is this expectancy to work until midnight and yeah. you know and and I've heard some absolute horror stories mostly from people on our team I feel yeah. like notepad sometimes is like a survivors club for people that have been through the industry it's yeah. like aa or something you yeah. know we all we all talk about how many days we've been clean of of um ex agency lifestyle but it's it because there's no point in doing it they do it because they sell the work too cheap yeah. and then they go the only way to make profit on this is to absolutely, you know, rinse the team's time. They'll do it in two days, working, you know, eight till midnight instead of the, you know, the the four days that it should take. Yeah, kind which of is thing. exactly the same as they do at big accountancy firms. They'll they will understand their numbers, obviously, because they're accountants. Yes, <laughs> but they will be more than happy to say, in exchange for giving you an ACA as a chartered accountant. Yeah, we're going to expect you to work. 14, 16, 18 hours a day sometimes. Unbelievable, isn't it? And we know we've got the demand of those juniors on that ACA program because once you get the ACA and you're a chartered accountant, you're set for life basically yeah, yeah. in terms of earning 50, 60K or whatever. You're never going to be without a job. They are exploiting people. Mm. And I, I, I don't think necessarily agencies are the same. I think maybe big agencies do that because if you go and work for, I won't name any names, but some of the big agencies mm. in London, 
they have so much demand, they do create a budget and they do say, this kid's going to have to work X amount. Yeah, it's an expectancy. Right, and but don't you think in smaller agencies sometimes it's just a lack of understanding of their finances? So they'll go, we can do this, uh, it's four grand. Yeah. And they don't even think, how many hours is it going to take for phase one, two, three, four, five? Who's going to do it? What's their hourly rate? Well, that's it. All it, of these it, kinds It's of not things. even just the numbers, it's just process. You know, and, yeah. and, and, like it, it's one thing that, we've realized with notepad actually as, as boring as it sounds process and governance is probably one of the things we're best at because we've just naturally tried to find ways to work more efficiently work smarter yeah, yeah your whole way i remember of uh, right through from uh, lead proposal through to engagement through to managing my expectations as a business owner mm. on what's going to happen and when i don't think i've seen maybe one or two businesses in the 12 years i've been working that i've partnered with that do it as well as you because in a service <laughs> it's true in a service business it's all about managing a client's expectations yeah absolutely. which is why that small changes big impact thing is really important and we need to put that back into growth factor and not think of it as as just a launch gift it's actually that has to be the just do it for growth factor yeah. because our clients sometimes expect us to revolutionize their finances in the first two weeks of working with them yeah but actually <laughs> Now we map out almost like a project plan, trying to emulate what you do and say, well, the first three months is just about fixing what's currently wrong. Yeah. The next three months will be about, say, tax planning. The next three months is about your personal financial plans. And so you're kind of managing their expectations. Yeah. But agreed. lots of people don't do that. So it, if you don't tell the client as an agency, it's going to take this long. And if this happens, it's going to take a bit longer you're then just having to throw hours at the wall right? yeah that's and that's it man you know that's that's how they operate and what's been your biggest struggle during this period that you've kind of worked through and then got to a point where now you seem happy um you seem relaxed yeah yeah you you're moving house you're married to your lovely wife anna <laughs> um who supported you i know you guys always I, you know, I follow you on social media. We don't see each other that often, but some of the adventures that you get up to, the travels, the snowboarding, the mountain biking, you're doing these things. You have the, the well, from socials anyway, which might not be true, <laughs> the illusion of a good work-life integration, you know, yeah, a happy exactly. life. What, what's been your biggest struggle to get to the point where you're at now? I mean, honestly, if you'd asked me that question, what are we in now, March? Ten months ago. I would have been the opposite of how I am now. I would have been, you know, exhausted and, and okay. happy just to vent to you, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, so the biggest learning for me over the last year, and, you know, thank God it's, it's kind of paying off now, is we, well, our whole focus for you know, probably the two years through COVID, which obviously was an added challenge, yeah. was to get to 83 grand a month. You know, we wanted to be a million pound business. We, that was our whole, that is the number we need to be hitting consistently yeah. month on month. Yeah. So we basically just did whatever it took to get there. You know, we, I don't, I've realized now where we fell down, but we, we just fought, you know, as hard as we possibly could. We, we, you know, we closed deals as quick as we could. We jumped yeah. on every inquiry faster than other agencies. We went above and beyond in pitches. You know, yeah. we'd go to the greatest lengths to win that work. Yeah. And we got there and, you know, we, we did it consistently for sort of six months and I was super unhappy. I was, you know, I was, I was like, this is rubbish. I, I, if this is now an indication of what it's going to be like at 2 million, I don't yeah. want this twice, yeah. you know, twice over. So yeah. me and um, Anna, you know, speaking of traveling, we actually went to Greece for a week and we're, we're fortunate fortunate or unfortunate fortunate enough to not have kids yet so we've, yeah. we've got a dog who is a problem child but you know she was she was able to go to the to the end you can say that it's fine yeah. you should my advice would be really make the most the maximize everyone tells us this so yeah, we're, yeah. we're trying to do as much not as like it's bad can. it's they are my whole i can't um talk about them on a podcast because i'll just start crying yeah. it's like <laughs> see, you're getting emotional yeah, it's, it's, yeah anyway back to you yeah so it's not like it's a a negative mm. it, it, it it's just different and you don't have as much time exactly yeah exactly and i get it you know i get it as well I, I think as much as my dog isn't a child i have enjoyed you know getting her from 
rescue to, to slightly social animal, um, which is basically the same as what you do with kids. Um, so yeah, so we went to, went to Greece and, you know, I was totally drained, you know, I wouldn't say yeah. I was burned out, but I was absolutely exhausted. I sort of, you know, the luxury of not having kids, I kind of collapsed into a sunbed, you know, and, and basically slept for two days. I, yeah. I, you know, I couldn't function. Um, and, and Anna works in a, you know, very fast paced tech company as well. So she was pretty tired herself. So we, yeah. we had a couple of days of basically just recovering and then just a very open chat. We've always been super open with each other. And, you know, my whole perspective was like, if we're, if, if Notepad is still as it is now in a year's time, yeah, I don't think I'll be able to do this much longer. You know, it's, it is, it is slowly wearing me down and it's not why I wanted to set up a business. You know, yeah. I, I, I have that whole thing in my head, which I know is completely pointless because it's a totally different sort of kettle of fish but i always think you know i could just be a consultant you know i yeah. could i could have no none of the worries of, of payroll i could have a couple of decent clients and i know that's grass is greener because i've done that and i didn't enjoy it but it, yeah. in the in your mind you kind of you're always weighing that up and so that we basically had a really open conversation and between us we kind of worked out what had caused it and ultimately what we'd done in getting to a million pound wasn't growing a scalable company we just stretched me as far yeah. as we possibly could to get yeah. to a million pounds and that's yeah. not to say the team weren't working the team were working you know insanely hard yeah but there was an expectancy because with branding you know and particularly a rebrand if you're a you know you're a growing company or even a known brand that's a big decision and so it's something where typically when we're talking to companies firstly you know one in ten companies we speak to is open to a conversation about rebrand the rest yeah. are probably all right you know yeah. they, they don't they don't need one yet so it's a very long sales cycle and we typically it's sort of six to nine months before you know from meeting them getting to know them to okay let's rebrand your entire business let's yeah. change everything yeah. yeah and so by that point I'm their best mate you know we, we kick yeah. off the work and and you know they've bought fully into me my enthusiasm has kind of won them over even if the team have been part of those conversations there's an expectancy of course that i'm going to be involved so yeah. the team are amazing and, and actually probably you know it's only one in three now where we go through that process yeah. and that the client will say we want name to be involved you yeah. know we'll actively yeah. say it and then you know i'm stuck i'm basically right well this is a six-month project and i'm going to be doing everything yeah. with the team again and so we can't scale yeah so we looked at what or i looked at you know what is it that we're selling that is things that don't need me you know things that i can't do and i'm not yeah. a designer you know yeah. as you know i you know I, I started my life as a as a journalist and then moved into copywriting so i love words and yeah. i love having an opinion yeah. on design much to the detriment of my team but i <laughs> i don't i can't make things look great kind of thing so we were i sort of started to look into well how do you scale design you know how do you scale design and content and creative and less of the big deep strategic work and more of the stuff that all brands need every yeah. day yeah um, and we've been we, I know this is a long story but it kind of brings it to life we've our biggest client or, or biggest client at the time was was the the whiskey brand Glen Morangy. And we won that account, we won that that relationship through sheer enthusiasm. They yeah. didn't need a rebrand. They just, you know, spent an astronomical amount with an agency in London on a rebrand. And yeah. fair enough, the brand is is quite nice. There are some challenges with it, but it, it you know it's working. But they wanted to work with us. Yeah. So we had this really nice organic relationship where they trusted us and we trusted them. And they between us, we worked out what we could do for them. And, yeah. and actually what we ended up doing was becoming very much their on tap design partner. So, you know, all the design work they needed doing, they, they could turn to us and just, you know, they've, they've got this incredible in-house team with LVMH. They've got their yeah. own brand team, yeah. but even so there's a, a massive bottleneck in content for social or landing page design or presentations or reports. Yeah, it's and, and nice for them to have some flexibility. Exactly. And the standard that they require. Yeah. And then, you know, digging deeper into that, the, the thing we sort of recognized is that with a business that size, the typical relationship between a, a brand and agency is, you know, three to five year retainer. Yeah. Unbelievable fees, you yeah. know, known, and, and, you know, we, we've heard cases of sort of, you know, two, three hundred grand a month with yeah. some brands, not with, with Glen Morangy, but with other brands we work with. And you're tied in. So you kind of, you know, although they're doing good work for you, yeah. you're kind of turning up to that monthly meeting with the agency going, 
uh, right, well, we, we haven't really had time to think about what we need from you this month. So can yeah. we have a quick chat and work some stuff out? Yeah. So the agency goes away, designs up some landing pages, maybe does a campaign creative or something. Yeah. And you're, you haven't even thought about whether that was needed or not. You get yeah. the work. Yeah, it's you not know. part of a longer term plan. Exactly. It's very it's, reactive. It's, it's very reactive and it's very, it's a bit scrappy and last minute. And there's no flexibility. You know, you can't turn them off for a month if you, if you haven't got any work for them. So we developed a whole new proposition called Amplify, which is our, okay. there's a, you know, it's, you, if you go on the website now, you'll see it's got this kind of like SaaS model to it where yeah. it's all about transparent fixed pricing. And essentially what it is, is a, you know, a solution to kind of remove the creative bottleneck in, in businesses. Okay. And what's been partly what's so exciting about it is, you know, I, I, over the years I've, I've been lucky enough to work with some really big brands on little pieces of work and stuff. Yeah. If I was speaking to Lego or Meta, yeah. We're not going to talk about a rebrand. As much as I would like to, you yeah. know, be the agency that rebrands Lego, yeah. they are all right from yeah. a branding yeah. perspective. <laughs> They're doing okay. So they it would be, you know, a pointless conversation. But now if I speak to a brand like that and I say, okay, you know, help me understand where what you're doing in terms of content, right? And is is there a limit to how much you can do there? Would you want to do more? Then yeah. of course they're going to say yes. You yeah. know, we every team is stretched and every team has a bottleneck somewhere. Yeah. So we kind of exist now to be that flexible no long-term tie-in kind of partner to these bigger brands and it's just been amazing because we've you know in the last six months we've we've spoken to asos you know and, and the whole group uh yeah. top shop and collusion spoken to lego spoken to meta mailchimp all these enormous brands who wouldn't give us the time of day you know yeah. a, a couple of years if ago you were, if you were just saying do you want to rebrand yeah and that's <laughs> computer says no because that's what we have to do before we'll engage with you to do anything ongoing we're not happy if someone else has done that yeah exactly so that's and that's you know so so in terms of the biggest learning what we're now doing which is really exciting and i think i probably had to do the five years of of not really thinking about scale properly until now yeah to to learn this is every element of what we're doing we're thinking about scale so even our you know our new sales process right from day one we mapped it out so it wasn't all on me you know so i'm part of the sales journey but people know their roles they know their responsibilities in in terms of generating leads and nurturing clients and stuff and what that's meant now is i feel like we're we're kind of on the the precipice of of real kind of explosive growth which is is you know it's it's fun it's kind of why we want to do it and it's the biggest problem for agencies man is sales you know it's it's probably the same in in accountancy like if you had more leads than you could possibly deal with you'd find a way to deliver it you know you yeah i think what will you get eventually to the point probably we've been going 12 years now probably in the 10th year we got to the point where we were like okay well we could literally take on two or three big clients a week and because we've got all the internal processes bang on, because we've been iterating them for the last 10 years, yeah. we would not let a client down. Yeah, exactly. exactly what we're doing. Exactly. And that's, you know, and I think that's when, when people talk about these agencies, you know, the fastest growing agency in X kind of thing. Yeah. It's just because they're great at sales. You know, yeah, they've, yeah. they've just absolutely smashed yeah. the sales engine. and or, or sales and marketing. Like if you yeah. look at... I love Diary of a CEO, uh, Stephen Bartlett. His agency was one of the fastest growing businesses. I think that although he inflated the numbers and got in trouble for that recently, it still got from zero to six or seven million in turnover pretty quickly. Unbelievably fast. Yeah, Yeah, and that's the the, the leads being generated, but then also also being converted. Interesting thing on on Stephen's story, because years ago, ran an event in a, an agency I was working in and we got him in as a speaker. And this was quite early on in the days of social chain and um, lucky enough to kind of have a chat with him afterwards to work out how have you done this? You know, yeah. how have you gone from, and there's partly, you know, they, they had a really clever model in that they owned these huge social media accounts that they'd either created or bought. So they had a platform that other agencies didn't have, but yeah. they said that, or Stephen said that, Actually, for the first couple of years, they were doing everything that an agency would do. They were doing yeah. all kinds of marketing, spending astronomical amounts, you know, and, and they'd raise a bit of investment. They chucked it all straight into things that weren't really getting return. Mm. And they did a bit of analysis internally on, all right, what's the activity we're doing and where are the leads actually coming from? And 80% of the leads were from Stephen talking, right? Okay. just doing public speaking. So the lesson there is 
well, there's two from your previous conversation point. It's look at all your internal processes and how can you extract yourself as an owner from the ones that don't require you and you don't enjoy. Exactly. If you're getting to the point of overwhelm, stress and burnout, yeah, yeah. sit down with someone else <laughs> and work out who's not in your business and work out why you've got to that point. That's it. Because you won't see it. A plan to get back to, to loving your business again. Yeah. And then in terms of growth of an agency or a service business, run lots of different lead generation tactics and strategies, but then collect the data on all of them. That's it, man. Yeah. And then every quarter, you know, review where the leads are actually coming from. That's it. And, I, yeah. you know, it's something that um, I've been thinking a lot about recently, which ties into that. Because with social chain, Stephen said they they almost turned everything else off. Yeah. They put everything into building his personal brand. They put him on every and that's stage. Something he and enjoys because I think he enjoys loves it. You know, I'd love yeah. it if we could put this podcast out. It helped people because the idea of this podcast being founder stories, which I came up with, which yeah. I actually love, uh, after going through. 10 15 names with a <laughs> with someone else and then ignoring all of them <laughs> in the middle of the night thinking found a story yeah nice because <laughs> it's the origin yeah is diary of a ceo to me is really inspirational but mm. you can't really take action from it it's very contextual yeah and it's about the founder's mentality or struggles or he really tries to get emotion out of them, which yeah. is what's entertaining to watch, but it's not necessarily that useful or practical, actionable advice. If this podcast can end up being something that people come to every week to help their business grow, that will generate leads because people will be thinking, well, who is Grow Factor? Grow Factor sponsors this podcast. Let me check them out. Yeah, of course. And if I could get to the point where I'm only doing the podcast and I love talking to people, as you do, yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, what a lovely place Goals, to be. Isn't it? Yeah, lovely place. To you spend don't your have time. to dance around making TikTok videos. You, know? <laughs> you don't have to do that anyway. <laughs> I have done that. <laughs> Jump, I jumped in my Porsche when I had a Porsche at one point. We had an agency helping us and then jumped back out the other side and then was doing star jumps in front of the car and they turned it into this. Really? I mean, the, the reel got lots of yeah. views. Yeah. But I just stopped at one point and thought, this is not authentic with who I am. Yeah, exactly. And but you tested it. And that's the thing with this podcast as well. Although, you know, I think this this is 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 a really good idea and will scale and will grow. Once you've done the first season, you'll then have really clear kind of numbers on what's happened. I mean, as yep. a general rule, one of the yep. things we say to people doing podcasts that we've picked up from somewhere, I don't know where, is that it's by one, episode 100 that you yeah. really start to feel the effects of, of yeah. a podcast. And yeah. my friend Ali runs a, a really good one, um, mainly with kind of endurance athletes. And, and he talk, talks a lot about, you know, hardship and struggle and, and how they use exercise to combat that and stuff. And, and he's approaching that number now. And I remember him being on like episode eight and being like, I don't know if this is worth it. It's like, yeah. carry on. You'll get there. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. And it's a slog. But um, I think, I think that's one thing with channels, I, I think will be useful for the listeners because as, as a founder, I think business founders are amongst when they do it right. They're, they're amongst the, the best marketers in the world because yeah. we're the ones that pay the price if we don't get the you know the sales if we don't get the leads so although you you have to hire people that are smarter than you to you know to help you scale and deliver yeah if you ever need a you know a real life mba in marketing i think it's try and run a business because you you force yourself to do these things and one of the things now that we have this new quite disruptive proposition with amplify yeah. you know we've we've never really been able to do things like ppc because you you if you run a ppc ad that says you know, is your, is your brand letting you down or, you know, what do people think about you when you're not in the room? It yeah. might in generate some intrigue, yeah. but it's not going to be by, you know, it's, it's going to be, yeah. you're into it's the cycle. The start of a really long journey. Exactly. Yeah. But now if we can say, you know, creative team, you know, feeling the stretch kind of thing, we can take some of that heavy lifting off, off, yeah. your, off the table. They'll yeah. be like, yeah, sweet. And so it, it's opened up different areas for us to explore now. And, the approach we're taking with marketing, which has taken me a while to learn, I think, in, in kind of SME marketing, because when you work with a big brand, you have an established brand, an established voice, established customers. It's all different. You know, when we don't, we've done work with, with Nike running in the past, Nike running in the past, they'd hate me for saying Nike, is, and, and what you're doing there in terms of doing a big campaign or a big piece of strategic work 
is you're just moving the dial by one point. You know, yeah. you're hoping that you're going to increase sales by X or increase yeah. footfall by X or something. With a small business, you know, you're you're massively taking leaps to try and try and hit the next target. So I've just read a book which I'd really recommend actually. And I think there are two books with the same title, and so I'll maybe you can drop it in the notes afterwards as to which yeah, one I'm talking well. about. But it's called Traction, and it's it's mainly about how to run small tests with only the channels that are worth your time to get you to the next number. Yeah. So you're not thinking about, you know, how do we get from one to 10 million? Yeah. So if we know our next goal is 2 million, we're, we're running, we've outlined the, they do it in the book actually, they outline all the channels that you could possibly use, the yeah. ones which typically startups use to really accelerate their growth. Go through them as a team, come up with ideas for all of those channels, even if they don't feel right for your business. Yeah. And then between you work out, all right, in terms of running an experiment, which isn't going to cost the earth, which ones of these should we try first yeah. and start running those as small experiments. And the thing I really like about that approach is I've been told over and over again the last two or three years that the approach to marketing an agency is to look at all the channels. There yeah. are you know, over 40 channels that agencies typically use to market themselves yeah. and do them all. So, you know, make sure you tick every single one of those boxes and that's PR, SEO, PPC, all these things that no single team can actively do until you're 100 people probably. So what was happening to us was we were trying to make our way through those lists and we'd we'd get a couple of things going quite well and then we'd, you know, let's get 10 going this quarter and we'd take our eye off what was working well and focus on something else. And it was all, it was always just one step forward, two steps back. So. I think as a as a smaller business, the the right approach is you need to have the basics in place. You've got to have you know content and visibility and all that sort of stuff to reinforce the buyer decision. But ultimately, just run small tests on the channels that you think are, are going to serve the greatest results. And if it works, yeah. if you get decent leads, if you you know if you get some sales, ideally, work out how you can double down on that channel. And yeah. you know for for us, we the, the recent experiments we've been running are that we're we're really good at PPC in terms of social PPC, but we're, we're jumping too quickly to the end. So we're kind of yeah. going, here's the problem that you have as yeah. a, you know, as someone managing a big brand, here's our website, book yeah. a call. And yeah. of course that's not going to work. You know, you're not going to commit to our minimum monthly spends four grand a month. So yeah. even that for a big business, although it's typically not money based, that sort of level of buyer, they're still like, oh, I don't know if I can you know, work out the PO yeah, for four grand. some value. Exactly. Without so, charging them anything. That's to it. build some trust. Right? Yeah. So we're now, we've, we've stretched it out. We've put a big, you know, sequence of, of kind of nurturing in and, and a very personable way of doing that. We're not looking at the moment as to, you know, those kind of email nurture sequences or anything fully automated. We're, yeah. we're doing it very manually and actually trying to build really nice relationships with good people. And it's working, you know. Which I think is the way, if you're trying to sell a service, at a higher value, I definitely think having experimented and tried to do the 40 channels and all of these things, <laughs> yeah. the personalized approach is the way forward. And also just tracking three metrics. If you track cost of acquisition across all of these experiments, you can compare one experiment to another because ultimately you want to stick with the two or three things that give you the lowest cost of acquisition of yeah. a client. Yeah. Track how long your clients are staying with you and always have two or three uh, strategies in place to lengthen how much they're spending with you. Yeah. Can you get them spending an extra £100 a month? So the four becomes 4100 across a long time period. That makes a massive difference. And if you're looking at those three things, so length of time they stay with you, how much do they spend, and the cost of acquisition, and you're constantly thinking about those as an owner, yeah. you could really, I mean, I would advise you to look at other things, but you could just look at those and yeah. not go too far wrong. Yeah, of course. And that's the, that's one of the other learnings for me, really, that my one of my uh, mentors helped me understand is if you, you know, our, our big clients, when we nail it, can, can be spending anywhere from sort of, you know, 15 to 40 grand a month. Yeah. Don't need that many. You no. know, we're, we're not looking for a thousand it's clients. It's not tear your hair out, run around, have 10 coffees, yeah. develop a vape addiction. <laughs> like getting this massive going back to what you said i got myself in a massive state of high dopamine in january right because we had a few things happen in december and i really wanted to get back on track with our financial goals in january and i just went crazy and it was fine because it worked yeah but what i realized was 
by mid-February, I was just burnt out. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and then listening to a lot of Huberman stuff, and um, if you ever listen to his podcast and Dr. Peter Atia, I realized that, and I explained this to my kids and they actually understood it. You know, dopamine is like a wave pool. It can go mm. and things can be great for a period of time. These waves are coming. You've got so much energy. You're getting so much done. But if you turn that on too much for too long, that water starts spilling out. Ultimately, that reservoir will just go down to zero. Yeah, yeah. There's hardly anything in it. The no waves can be produced anymore and you're burnt. You're done. Now you need to wait two or three weeks yeah. where you remove the, I mean, I developed a vape addiction because I went to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and one of my mates bought me one, gave it to me. And who knew nicotine was so addictive? Yeah. Anyway, three months later, I've got off it. Well, then you get down from 10 coffees to one coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Then you're actually being a lot more slow and patient with your time because I totally agree with what you said. Being in business is about patient, incremental progress. Yeah, yeah. And not forcing yourself to feel bad when you're hit, not hitting these notional financial mm. targets and then having to ramp yourself up on stimulants to pump up dopamine just to get through 12, 14 hour days yeah, yeah. to do things that you don't really want to do. You have to constantly ask yourself, is the routine I had this week sustainable? Could I do this for the next 10 years and still be enjoying it and mm. if you can that's the right routine for you otherwise you need to dial the hours down change your routine the things that you're doing um all of these things and i think for me one of the things i worked out with my mentor this week is that our business needs flexible resource on tap so amplify we're too small for you probably but amplify for businesses makes total sense to me because you're never gonna have a direct alignment between your needs as a business mm. and the capacity of your internal team, yeah. there'll always be ebbs and flows. And if you have access to flexible capacity at the same level as your internal team, but or higher yeah. outside in a number of different areas, yeah. so maybe a great PR agency on tap, a great marketing team like you guys, content, creative, mm. uh, a finance, virtual finance director, all of these other things are set up. You don't need to build this really big, overhead heavy internal team you can have you two or three other leadership people the rest of your service delivery team and then five or six key partners outside plus your lower level freelancers that you might go to sometimes and you've got a business that could scale to 10 15 million pounds absolutely and i think the the trap i fell into with that and, and you know it's something that you just see isn't it everyone's obsessed with headcount particularly yeah. in my industry you know they'll, they'll you'll be at a networking event for agency owners and They'll ask what you do. And the second question is always, how many staff do you have? Yeah. And, and I used to take real pride in saying, you know, well, we're 10 now, we're 15 now. I actually look the other way now. Like, I don't want to take on many no. more full-time people because we don't need to. If anything, we're slightly overstaffed, I'd yeah. say. And, and yeah, having a network of, of trusted, you know, top-tier, world-class kind of freelancers yeah. not only gives us that flexibility, it gives us access to amazing talent as yeah, well. So 100%. the work just goes through the roof. And if they stop performing, see you later. Yeah, exactly. Because they're not an employee. So that, yeah. you know, and the employees, we're lucky that, you know, I, I do see we've always kind of focused on hiring incredible people, you know, much to the detriment of how much profit we make because they're all very expensive. But yeah. we, you know, we've, we've hired very, very good, I think, you know, the, the, the best people for the job every time we've had a role going which has given us this amazing in-house ability. But there are still skills, you know, outside the business that we don't have access to, that we really yeah. need access to yeah. at times. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and just as a final argument to that as well, in our industry, the creative industries, 40% of the workforce is now freelance. Yeah. So if nearly half of all the talent in the world is already freelance, why yeah. would we ignore that? And that's the way you things know? are going. So I sat down with my mentor this week and I said, look, I really think I need to hire a managing director because I've been through this process of stress and overwhelm. Yeah. And I need to hire a marketing director because it's on me to create the content plans, to create the strategy. Yeah, and he yeah. just turned around straight away without even thinking about it and said, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you find a world-class person to come in on a project basis to start with, to map out your content for the year. Then you have a monthly meeting with them, which you pay them for. Mm. You get the best person you can. You don't need a full-time person. Mm. Same with a managing director. What is there to manage? What processes have you got that are not working that you need a managing director? For? <laughs> You're right. Absolutely. Like, calm yourself down. Yeah, yeah. You do not need one with a business that turns over two million pounds. You don't need a full-time managing director. You need to do that. You need to have the integrator, which in our business is Yasser. 
to make sure that the clients are happy, the work's getting out the door to the right standard, the team are managed. You mm. need that person. We have six people in our UK team and then 20 plus people in our offshore team. Mm. So who's in charge of the offshore team? It's one of our accountants. Who's in charge of our six accountants? It's Yasser. Mm. So you need someone looking at team, but you don't need necessarily in the modern world, I think, until you hit sort of 10 mil plus a managing director to stop to get your time down. But one of the things that is really important, we could talk all day, but I'll try and start wrapping up, is I know that, or I know that in order to make decisions about staffing, who can you afford? When can you afford them? What can we do from a marketing perspective? What does our cash flow look like? You have to have a good focus on your finances. And one of the people that I think every business should have is a, a CFO or a finance director. And you can afford that, but you have to scale that up over time. So you might start off with a call every three months, then a yeah, call every yeah. month, then a call every two weeks. But I think you should have a virtual finance director, an accountant, a bookkeeper, a payroll person, all working for the same company, but they're not in your organization. Yeah. They're external. So how important has it been for you to focus on your finances and have a team that you can you can lean on at Growth Factor? Well, absolutely. Because we, it, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? Running a business, you no matter what your skill set or your interest, you have to learn how to, to manage cash flow. You, you know, it's kind yeah. of critical. Yeah. And it's not something that I naturally would, you know, bit, say is in my, my skill set. I think it's something I've had to learn slowly. You know, I can look at a, a PNL now, particularly an agency PNL, and immediately understand where where they where they could improve, what you know, yeah. what's going wrong, kind of thing. But I wouldn't have got there without all the modelling work we did at the beginning. You yeah. know, the and and even the tools that you you kind of implemented, we still use now. Like we still use Float every day. Yeah, and being able to ask questions over yeah. time, exactly, incrementally increases your financial intelligence and understanding. And things like Float, which for listeners is a is an online tool you can plug into Zero, which all of our clients use to manage cash flow. And at the start. We spend a lot of time working together at that time on how does this work? How can you keep this up to date yourself? Yeah, yeah. And in a service business where you're maybe um, billing up front a large amount of money and then you're having to make sure that lasts and you don't think, happy days, let's all go to the to Vegas. <laughs> Done that a few times. Not yeah, Vegas, but right? spent everything. Yeah. But understanding that that isn't money you've earned in this month, it's money over six months. It yeah, needs yeah. to be spread in the profit and loss account. So you yeah, start yeah. to understand accruals accounting. And you need to manage the cash flow appropriately, right? If you didn't have that system in place and that team and that, that live cash flow forecasting, what do you think would be different? Do you think the risk of failure would be higher? Do you think things would be exactly the same? Yeah, I just don't think we'd grow. You know, I, th I think we'd sort of, we'd be running around in circles because there's, without that stuff in place, and it is, you know, it's one of the other reasons I'm, I'm more excited about moving to the Amplify sort of service model is it's it's very hard to make decisions because yeah. you you have no visibility on you know what's coming in how long is cash typically going to last you know where are we spending money where could we be saving money all that sort of stuff i think you know in its simplest form running a business is money in money out isn't yeah. it so yeah, yeah, yeah. with without that and and i you know i i i have no direct sort of you know problem with with businesses that raise investment but Honestly, some of the companies we work with, we we obviously we work with bigger companies now, but we work with a lot of investment-backed businesses over the over the years, particularly in tech. Some of them, you know, run amazingly and, and do really well. Some of them don't, and I think investment for lots of businesses makes them lazy yeah. and makes them make silly they decisions. Have large cash reserves, yeah. So it's got you know three million sat in the bank. You're going to go, yeah, of course we'll hire a sales yeah, team. They're not necessarily tracking the return on investment of their spend. Exactly. And then they're also just, you know, running these wild experiments with money and things. And yeah. I think, you know, I knowing what I know now, I understand why capital can help fuel growth when a business is ready to scale. Yeah. But I would be so fearful of, of raising investment for a company that hadn't yet proved scale, not just sales, you know, because yeah. I, I think there's a feeling that, you know, if you sold a couple of clients or a couple of customers, then you've you've got a scalable model. You haven't. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've you've proven that there was a market need at that time for that person. Yeah. If you can show that it can be done on scale, and then there's this huge market that hasn't been captured, absolutely raise some money and throw yeah, it in. But yeah. I think running a business organically with you know, and, and maybe leaning on um, access to capital when you need it. So yeah. you know the taking a short-term loan or using yeah, your own draft. startup loans company and exactly other things to get that first 25k to get you off the ground yeah and you do need it you know even with 
you know, switching from small clients to big clients, we had the challenge of going from SMEs who, who you know, probably don't have the savviest sort of payment processes yeah. and will agree, you know, to pay you 50% of the project up front and stuff, yeah. which is wonderful as an agency. Whereas a big company is going to go, no, like yeah. we'll you pay you three months. Yeah. You, wait, you can wait yeah. 90 days and you'll get that, that payment 30 days afterwards. And it will be only once that work well, has been signed you're off. You're going to get paid. Yeah. So in that sense, you start to understand things about invoice factoring. Exactly. And access yeah, to capital yeah. up front and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it, and I, I realise that more now, capital is the, the fuel, isn't it? it? You know, you, you need it at times. To yeah, 100%. And as an owner to be able to sleep at night, knowing that you've got six months or a year's worth of your fixed costs in the bank at any time. Yeah, yeah. And we teach the three bank account system and things like that. Um, just to sort of make sure, I think, to be honest, I've really enjoyed the conversation. There's so much in there that if I was a business owner and I had a service business, not even necessarily an agency, but especially an agency, I would be going back and re-listening to this and re-listening to this and writing down what are you going to change? What actions are you going to take as a result of listening to this podcast? Don't just make it something that's nice to listen to in the car. <laughs> and then if you are listening to it in the car, go and listen to it in an environment where you can take notes. Um, either repeating some of the points that you've made earlier, but try and imagine you've got like a 60 second timer on you. <laughs> what are your three keys to success that you could share with others? So maybe one for the startup phase, one for the scale up phase and one for the more established phase. Okay. Um, we haven't prepped any of this, by the way, no, no, I was not seen any of the questions. <laughs> I wrote most of them this morning. Um, uh, yeah, I'm on the so, spot, but that's fine. I can do it. So. Startup phase, I'll, I'll look at this through a branding lens because that's where I can probably help the most in terms okay. of, of growth. I think startup phase, my advice would be invest in brand. I, you know, I, I think actually there's an awful lot to be said for great design. Even if you're still working out your proposition, you know, try to, I know it costs money, but try to avoid stock photography, try to get real photography done. Even if it's just your mate that's a photographer that can do it. A one-day shoot, captures yeah. good photos and of your the team. The iPhone 14 Pro now is exactly. amazing. Well, it's better than most SLRs. Like, yeah. you know, the, the means are there now, and there's there's no excuse, really, for just looking like another company with the same stock photos and run splash. So avoid that. And so I would I would invest in it. I think at the, the scale-up phase, it's absolutely about thinking, how can you grow a business that sells, you know, something that isn't on you to deliver? And then what are the roles you need to fulfill that? I think that's that's the key learning for me is is, yeah. is actually the difference between running a one person consultancy with support and running a scalable business is that, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of go go from selling yourself and your skills to selling the skills of the team and, and the, the value that they and bring. What does that team need to look like? Yeah. Exactly. Have a really clear we've you know, we've got a, an org chart now for um, we've got seven different org charts from here until five million. And I know, wow. you know, exactly where hopefully people in the team are going to end up. Yeah. I know who we need to bring in. I know our structure. They know their progression as well. It's really clear. It's visible yeah. to everyone. And then in the, the big brand kind of space, I think my honest sort of, you know, takeaway for, for massive brands is to stop doing what everyone else is doing. You know, I, I think there's been this incredibly depressing movement in branding recently particularly if you look at you know the the big tech companies or the big fashion houses where everyone is looking like each other and you know saying the same things and there are certain brands so burberry is a really good example that have just broken free of that yeah. mold they've they've taken their logo from the 1920s or whatever it was they've redesigned it and they've come out with this aesthetic that's totally different to the rest of the industry and that's what branding's for, you know. It's it's for it's ultimately you're trying to be distinct. If you're trying to be memorable and and remember something different to everyone else, don't do what everyone else is doing, and take lessons as well at that size from businesses outside of your industry, and yeah. and you know, and look at startups that are doing some of the most effective, distinct marketing, you know, in the world, and it's because they're small and they've got a blank canvas and not all this bureaucracy internally. Yeah, but yeah. I think that bravery is is what's going to help bigger businesses. To set themselves apart and they could almost set up small sub teams within their big organization that have freedom and flexibility exactly okay um well name thank you for coming on the podcast it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me um if people want to get in touch with you and this i guess is more for 
well, I guess who are Notepad working with? Yeah. And then we can say, you know, how would you get in touch? Well, yeah, I mean, our, our focus is is working, it's two areas at the moment. We're working with something we haven't touched on, but we're a B Corp, we're a, a certified B Corporation. Just means we have a triple bottom line. So we're, we're profit people and planet. We are focused primarily at the moment on trying to work with other B Corps because yeah. they, okay. they hold themselves to the same standards. Yeah. And they're doing good, you know, for the world. And then we're also working with, you know, big household name brands that that have a focus on being responsible. Like Glen Morangy, you wouldn't think of it of a whiskey brand, but the the work they do around sustainability is unbelievable. So it kind yeah. of it fits really well with us. So we're kind of focused on that space. But I also love helping people. So you know, if and we've worked with plenty of SMEs. I'm obviously growing an SME like myself. Us, when you worked with us, we were probably 500k sales. Exactly. But we decided. A significant amount of that we were happy to invest with notepad because it would be a long-term investment yeah and it's you know we, we have sme clients you know quite a few yeah. of them and and it's often it's more strategic it's it's you know it's kind of getting like you said it's it's getting the house in order and getting everything going and then helping them scale um but i'm always you know i, I think the reason we work in service businesses is because we like helping people so yeah, we like meeting new people yeah exactly people. so yeah. so if anyone does have any questions they are more than welcome what's to, the best way for people probably to find me on linkedin because okay. I, I get too many emails so yeah yeah find me on linkedin and um and your name is name which my kids thought was hilarious <laughs> i literally went round for about 10 minutes saying name is coming what's his name name his name is name yeah a seven-year-old trying to explain it i had to write it down for them yeah i mean an adult should be able to mate that's my whole life that's you know that's my on linkedin you're n-a-e-e-m that's it yeah a-l-v-i dash ascender dash ascender because we've we've joined us we'll put put the links in the description (laughs) but it's been an absolute pleasure buddy thanks for joining me and thank you guys for listening to episode two of founder stories and we'll see you in the next one.